Welcome to Pop Pantheon, the podcast where we completely overanalyze all of your favorite pop stars and then rank them in the official Pop Pantheon. This is your host, DJ Louis the Fourteenth. And we've arrived at another B-Side episode. Before I get into everything, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Pop Pantheon wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on social media at Pop Pantheon Pod and me at DJ L-O-U-I-E-X-I-V on both Twitter and Instagram. Subscribe to our Patreon, Pop Pantheon All Access at patreon.com slash poppantheon for bonus content, access to our Discord, and access to the guest list at my queer pop party, Gorgeous Gorgeous, which is having its next installment on Saturday, May. May 6th, sorry. That's a week from this coming Saturday at Resident in downtown Los Angeles. So I'd love to see you guys there. If you're a Pop Pantheon All Access subscriber, you can DM us on Patreon and get on the guest list. If you're not, buy a ticket using the link in the show notes. And I'd love to see you guys at Gorgeous Gorgeous. All right. So for this week's B-side, I invited the New Yorker's John Seabrook back on the show. He was Famously on our Max Martin episode, he wrote the book on Max Martin, The Great Song Machine, which if you are a listener to the show and haven't read it, it chronicles Max and Stargate and the whole process of pop writing song making in the modern era that is just an exhaustive and incredibly fascinating read. So John recently wrote a piece in The New Yorker, a very wide ranging discussion of TikTok from niche micro pop stars emerging on the app to the way that existing pop stars are interacting with the app, how the app is affecting the sound of music, how the app is affecting the business of music, how the U.S. government is interacting with this Chinese-owned corporation, et cetera, et cetera. This piece really runs the gamut. It's definitive, I think, about the state of the modern TikTok ecosystem. And our conversation is equally diverse. Me and John get into lots of different topics about TikTok, its effect on pop stardom, how it's changing the nature of pop stardom, how current pop stars are interacting with it, how the sound of music is being affected by it, et cetera, et cetera. It was a really freewheeling convo between John and I, and so many interesting things came up. I so loved talking to him. So one quick note before we get into this, this was recorded before for the recent government hearing on TikTok in which the CEO appeared in front of the U.S. government and there's been a big flurry of attention on whether the government might actually ban the app. We do talk about some of the ways that the officials or U.S. officials have been threatening to ban TikTok, but this was recorded prior to that official hearing, which I know is a big news story, and I just want to acknowledge that up top here. Anyway, without further ado, here is my conversation with the wonderful John Seabrook. Okay, so I'm here once again with staff writer for The New Yorker and author of one of my all-time favorite books, The Song Machine. It's John Seabrook. John, welcome back to the show. Hey, yeah. Thanks, Louis. Good to be back. Good to have you. I absolutely adore our episode we made on Max Martin a couple years ago. I know it's an audience fave. A lot of people got educated on what Max's contributions to pop have been over the last 25 years. Thanks to you. And also, I saw the Anne Juliet musical recently, so I was thinking about you. Did you see it? I haven't seen it yet. I, I'm going with my daughter and my wife. We just have to get the right night. How did you like it? I actually liked it more than I thought I would. It was... Very entertaining, and obviously it's like pure camp to see all of these songs like placed right. into the format of a musical, but it was done very well. Like it was incredibly entertaining. It was 
self-aware about how silly the idea was and right. it was it was non-stop i mean there's 30 35 max martin songs crammed into right. about 100 minutes of musical so i think for anybody that's like a fan like i know that we both are i definitely recommend seeing it yeah i saw a run through when they were still working on it i could tell it was going to be entertaining so yeah i'm looking forward to it i'm gonna get there yeah good i hope you get to see it so we're here today to talk about another topic you wrote what i thought was an incredible and exhaustive piece in the new yorker way back in December of last year called So You Want to Be a TikTok Star, which basically is exploring the ways that TikTok has infiltrated the pop music ecosystem from various angles. You talked to aspiring musicians on TikTok. You talked to established pop stars about how they're relating to the app. You talked about the way that the app is potentially collecting our data for the purposes of the Chinese government. So you really hit this from nearly every angle. You also get into some of the ways that TikTok might possibly be manipulating the way that songs get attention on the app or like what gets picked up by the algorithm. So I thought it would be instructive for our audience to get into this piece a little bit to understand the influence of TikTok because I think that if you're thinking about pop stardom in 2023, this is one of the primary avenues towards pop stardom. If you're an existing pop star, utilizing TikTok to find a hit feels completely integral to what you do on a day-to-day basis. And I just felt like that would be a helpful thing for us in our ongoing quest to understand the ever-churning nature of pop stardom. So my first question for you is, can you just lay out, I guess, in very broad strokes, the history of TikTok as it pertains to music? Like, how has TikTok risen to become such an important part of how pop music operates in the present day? So TikTok is a Chinese-owned app that was originally, there was a Asian-only app called Dwayne, which existed before TikTok. And then TikTok was created as the sort of American version of that, but operating with different censorship rules and different content rules. It's a lot less homogenized than the Chinese version of it. It, you know, has had a growth spurt in pandemic-related, really. It was uh, was sort of the perfect platform for the pandemic, particularly when live music shut down, because it was your connection to other people who were in the same situation. And the role that data played in discovering artists changed from being one tool that you would use along with maybe going to a show and meeting the artist in person to really the primary tool of evaluating, you know, whether an artist was worth signing. And it's sort of the supremacy of data in general kind of grew to being the, the first thing you looked at rather than one of the things you looked at. And you had artists getting signed purely on data alone, which is really the first time that that has happened, at least as a a regular phenomenon. A lot of the labels were afraid of missing out on the next TikTok star. So there were these sort of bidding frenzies that took place all on Zoom, right? And like mm. even closing meetings, I don't know for your, your audience, they probably, if they've been lucky enough to sign with a label, they'll remember going to that label and their picture was up on the wall, the video as they walked in showed their video. Labels tend to put on like a lot of bells and whistles when they sign an artist. They want to convince you to stay with the label, but that was all done on Zoom. So you had these kind of Brady Bunch-like settings where label executives would gather and welcome a new artist to the label, but they never actually met. So anyway, so TikTok and the pandemic created something that once it really took hold, the major label 
both had to reckon with this whole new way of discovering music for the fans and also of discovering artists for the labels that almost overnight kind of grew to being an alternative, really, to the major label route. So mm. basically, instead of having to sign with a major label and give up the rights to your songs, which is generally what happens, TikTok offered a separate path to monetization. You could make deals with brands, become an influencer, and keep the rights to your music and begin to make money that way. That for artists, for developing artists, for new artists represents really now you have options. You have leverage. You don't have mm. to sign with the label if you have the data to support that you, mm. you can make it on your own. But then it also means that for fans out there who are looking for music, who are trying to discover music, now there's a whole new way of using video that you don't have to listen to the whole song like the way you would on radio. Right. It's really just a, a tiny amount of the song and the algorithm is serving you 10 seconds or even less bites of music so that by sitting in front of your TikTok for a couple of minutes even, you've been exposed to maybe 10 or 20 different mm. new songs that you haven't heard that are packaged with videos. And as a discovery mechanism, that's mm. amazing. It's like call-out research that radios do on songs that they think might be hits, but you know, so they'll play you like 30 30 seconds of the song, usually like the chorus or the hook, and they'll ask a, a target audience, you know, you think this is a hit. Basically, TikTok's kind of doing that, but it's sort of automatically doing that. And so, you know, that means that artists are able to get their music out there in front of people that radio wasn't doing for them. And then the last piece, I guess I'll add to this, is that it also kind of made like new music tended to be music that once it's released, if it doesn't hit, you don't really get a second mm. chance. You know, it's like, oh, well, that wasn't the hit. Let's write another song. But with TikTok, you actually do get a second chance. And a lot of the songs that became hits because of TikTok actually failed at first when they were released to radio. They, they just didn't get picked up. But then a trend started on TikTok. And then radio noticed that. And then the song got picked up by radio. And then it became right. a smash. So that is also something which for the artist means you have kind of second or third shot at it that radio, the, the usual marketing mechanisms don't give you. So those are three sort of big things. And there were a bunch of other things. But yeah, it's, it's definitely the biggest thing to come along in the music business since Napster, for sure. Right, right. I, I'm curious what you think. So TikTok isn't explicitly a music app obviously right. music and pop music in general have become a huge part of its usefulness to many people or a huge part of the format of what tiktok is what do you think it is about tiktok and the way that it works or the way that it functions or the way that we consume it and pop music that has made it such a hand in glove fit for the two of them like why have these two things become so intertwined like what is it about the way that tiktok functions or the way that people or younger people are consuming tiktok that lends itself to the pop music ecosystem so specifically do you think yeah well i think two things one is just the Everyone has 24 hours and only 24 hours. And there's a lot of music being released every day. They say 100,000 new songs appear on streaming platforms every day. And so no human has the time to listen to all those songs. 
But if there are very short versions of those songs, and if you have an algorithm that kind of knows your consumption habits and can sort of make a selection and then serve you a bunch of those, then you have the chance to actually survey a lot more of that music coming out than you would have. So I think it's it's the, the limited attention span of the mm. music consumer and the mm -hmm. fact that TikTok sort of serves you up five, 10, 20 second versions of songs. And, you know, you may never hear any of that song again. And right. that the, uh, uh, you know, and we may not like the whole song when you hear it, the whole song, you know, you may only like yes. that part of it. Yeah. I have that sensation quite frequently these days. And it's actually. not necessarily the hook either, you know. That's another thing about it is it could be like a weird lyric that ends up promoting a dance that right. then becomes the trend that's not the chorus of the song. So for songwriters, you do have all these other options now of like hook, visual hooks that can promote mm. dance and also yeah dance and the visual component of the music i mean yeah we had we had mtv but that wasn't user generated content that was content created by the music companies but right. now you've got you've this whole economy of users and and some of them are making money on it some of the a lot of them are just doing it for fun but you know it's a different vibe than like watching mtv all day where you know you were sort of fed this stream of very professionally produced videos usually right. produced videos now you you know it's very the iphone is basically the platform of choice for content creation and and it kind of levels the playing field so that you know even big artists who want to promote their music on tiktok end up making lo-fi music videos with iphones because it just is that's what the lingua franca of the platform is mm. so it's very sort of democratized in terms of production values and mm -hmm. I think that's another appeal. The whole DIY nature of music today is very embedded in the TikTok aesthetic, you know, and so that appeals, I think. It's the kids' medium, you know? It's like <laughs> we had, we, um, well, I won't even say what I had, but I mean, you know, there's been everybody, every generation gets their own medium. And this seems to be, so far at least, Gen Z medium of choice. And, and for music, that's where you want to be because that's where the yeah. young people are. I'm interested in what you're saying about about kind of like the audience involvement in the whole thing, because I think that's one of the things that's really unique about right. TikTok and I think adds to its appeal as a format for engaging with pop music. As you were talking about MTV, I'm reminded of growing up and there was this show on MTV where you could basically like recreate the music video of your favorite artist. So like yeah. I have these distinct memories of people getting to go on and you'd compete and like they'd pick somebody that could like remake with high production values like Jennifer Lopez's Love Don't Cost a Thing video or like Destiny's Child Independent Woman or whatever it was. So I'm very intrigued by what you're saying in terms of like TikTok having a unique appeal in the sense that it allows for the fans of the artist to become part of these hits in a certain way or part of generating these hits and engaging with this music. It creates sort of like a platform in which fans are becoming part of these songs. And, you know, to me, that's such an extension of another big sort of movement of this moment, which is stan culture, stan armies, this idea yeah. of how fans are now like part of the sort of like marketing and PR teams for a right. lot of their favorite popbacks and are very engaged with, you know, making sure that their faves have hits, helping yeah. them get things up the charts, 
comparing stats, et cetera, et cetera. So this feels like in some ways adjacent to that, but obviously like perhaps a more fun spin on it because it's allowing you to actually like be creative and creatively engage with the promo or marketing or even just like the fun nature of these songs, not necessarily just like battling on Twitter about like who has more number ones, your favorite, right. someone else's favorite or whatever. So that's really interesting to me. Are there specific TikTok hits that you consider kind of like seminal examples of the way that this platform can like make stars or make song smashes? Like are there specific songs that sort of blew up in like, let's say the last five, six years that you feel like are oh, yeah. emblematic or helped set the template for like how this whole ecosystem functions? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so Sunroof by Nikki Yuar, which is a song that you've heard on pop radio. It's like like everywhere yes. it's it's huge smash i got my head out this sunroof i'm blasting our favorite tunes i only got one thing on my mind you got me stuck on the thought of you you're making me feel brand new you're more than a sunshine in my eyes that song actually emerged from tiktok so tiktok has this distribution platform called sound on that, right. that helps promote its artists to brands usually mm. who are looking for mm -hmm. advertising music and so Nicky Yor had written that song and you know he couldn't get it picked up on radio but it did get picked up by a brand a small brand and a sort of smallish advertising campaign that ran exclusively on TikTok and then it spread from there and then eventually radio programmer listened to it and said hey let's put it on the radio and now it's a huge smash so he released this song like he came out with song almost a year before it actually became a hit and mm -hmm. it, it didn't become a hit when he released the song but because of tiktok it had a second life and it did another song very ubiquitous is victoria's secret by, by jacks Jax is a young woman who's a total TikTok star, built her whole following on TikTok, really just by being clever and funny. Her lyrics are fine, and, and Victoria's Secret is a clever song that is sort of a pleasure to listen to the fun stuff that's in it and again radio wasn't really interested in the song at first and i don't know maybe it was like a little too aggressive it's a very sort of you know mm -hmm. young woman's screw you to these guys and maybe like radio programmers were intimidated by it i'm not sure <laughs> but it became a hit on tiktok and then it just became completely ubiquitous on mm -hmm. radio and then the last example is a young woman named Stacy Ryan, who I actually wrote about in my piece. She became uh, a TikTok phenomenon through a, a hashtag challenge. And this is another thing that TikTok offers artists is there's tons and tons of these challenges where, you know, it can be anything. But in this case, she wrote the first line of her song. Don't text me when you're drunk, I think is the line. Or <laughs> yeah. Close to that. Please don't text yeah. me when you're drunk. Put your phone away. Everybody right. knows that line. And then the challenge was, yeah, write the next line. And mm. so many people took part in that challenge. Please don't text me when you're drunk. Ooh, or don't text me at all. Trust me, I'm trying, but lately I've been, I've been losing sleep. Maybe it's because I'm losing you. Don't text me at all. You only call me when you're drunk 
Sapphire to my ruby, but I can't keep this on. And she actually met her producer through that challenge, and they created the song, and it became a hit. And now she's got a career of her own. So all those artists would not have existed without TikTok. And I don't know whether that makes them like unique as their music sort of works really well on TikTok. I don't really think so because it also works really well on radio. But like radio is such a crapshoot, and it's right. That is what the major labels still have their control over. That's basically their way of getting music out there. But if you're not part of that whole major label system, which these artists weren't, you don't have those options. So TikTok really worked for those artists. So it's essentially like a way, obviously, for artists who don't have access to the major label system or to radio to like organically get attention. But it can feel as much of a crapshoot some, in some ways as radio does. I mean, obviously more songs can break through on TikTok. The virality feels like faster and shorter in some ways, but like- right. And it's global. And it's global. There's right. also been, as you brought up in your piece, like, you know, these are people that have managed to like find hits out of TikTok. But this system has created actual pop superstars. I mean, you bring up Little Nas X, I think, as being an important example right. of Old Town Road being essentially a TikTok hit, right? Like like that song you were sort of laying out in your piece kind of found its yeah. legs on TikTok via right. not even something Little Nas X was doing, but via a challenge or a user-generated sort right. of idea, a meme, right? Yes, it's amazing. Like, it seems like another age, but yeah, back when Lil Nas X wrote that song, the first version of it, there was a creator on TikTok, they're called Creators in Boston, that took part of the chorus where you change into cowboy clothes. I got the horses in the back, horse stock is attached. But he started mimicking that, and then the song blew up, and then it became the smash that it is, and Lil Nas X became a star. So yeah, that happened, but I do think that TikTok is really more about not superstars, but about mm. this whole new kind of star, like mm. a micro star. Really, mm. like, I mean, we've had superstars before, and we know what that's about. And I'm always thinking about to what extent that was, like, the means of production, like the limited channels of media that sort of oh. helped create these giant superstars and not really that that's what the people wanted mm. but now you've got this platform that allows people to actually monetize careers it's not superstars but it's just kind of micro stars with maybe a half a million or a million but devoted followers and you're talking about fans i mean this is where i think we get into what really is interesting is kevin kelly who was the first editor of wired wrote this essay i remember back when streaming just started uh, and it was called a thousand true fans mm. and the idea was like an artist that has a thousand true fans can make a career of it if the fans are willing to really like participate in in that career and get rewarded for that and and maybe even our sort of own part of it through NFTs or something. And I do think that that's what you're seeing on TikTok, the beginnings of the relationship between artists and fans with fewer middlemen involved in that. Because that's what the music business is really, right? It's like all these middlemen between the artist and the fan and taking their piece. And that was necessary when we needed the means of production and distribution to get 
the music out there. But now that you can do it all yourself, really, truly do it all yourself and put it out there, what do you really need the label for? I mean, mm. that's a question I, you know, I think a lot of people are asking and even at labels they're asking. And the answer is you don't. You know, you can find your fans and, and monetize with your fans. And that's what people are doing. And then the fans themselves can also monetize like they can monetize their influence and get paid for promoting your music so it's sort of an economy that you're both a part of i'm completely fascinated by what you're saying because you know one thing that we are dealing with on the podcast a lot as we attempt to kind of taxonomize pop stardom through history is the dissolving of monoculture right so like through most of sort of modern pop history as you were sort of getting at Pop music centered around the idea of the sort of monocultural superstar, right. Elvis, Michael Jackson, Madonna, right. Right. Lady Gaga, Beyonce, the Beatles, Gaga, right? So right. the Beatles, exactly. So like the ideas of sort of pop stardom were inherently tied to this idea of sort of like monocultural saturation. That's like what right. pop stardom was. And, you know, one thing that I've been thinking a lot about now is that like we don't really have monocultural pop stardom even at the top level anymore, right? right. You look at the pop stars in the world today, like the big new generation of pop stars you're thinking about billy eilish doja cat little Nas, obviously being harry styles right and like some of them do have moments of sort of monoculturalism right like lizzo's about damn time feels like a song that like right. everybody heard in the kind of classic sense of the word and also tangentially another song that blew up on tiktok obviously and blew up on tiktok as you point out in your piece not because of the chorus but because of a strange moment at the beginning right. of the second verse in a minute i'm gonna need a sentimental man or woman to pump me up feeling fussy walking in my balenciennes trying to bring out the fabulous that's tangential but for the most part, we're dealing with pop stardom that feels niche. Like yeah. even the biggest pop stars in the world, like Billie Eilish, doesn't need monocultural number one smashes hit parade to like have this like arena touring massive seeming pop career like there's yeah. plenty of people out there that like have never heard a Billie Eilish song which like was not the truth for Michael Jackson right like right, nobody walking the face of the earth didn't hear Billie Jean right but like right. Billie Eilish is the top pop star of her day and like there's probably a lot of people who have never heard a Billie Eilish song in this world yeah. and I think that that's becoming increasingly true because streaming has created a panoply of choices a lot of access and there isn't just like this orbiting around these like sort of as you mentioned like gatekeepered group of people that are the biggest stars of the moment and they're operating in every single sector of our music consumption life right so that's really interesting but what you're sort of getting at i think is like the next step in that evolution where it's like maybe pop musicians aren't even like particularly famous at all and they're just kind of like operating in these extreme kind of like micro bubbles where like they can monetize making music in a way that doesn't even have any sort of mass consumption or is just really a moment or a fleeting moment and that allows them to create careers where like the term pop star almost becomes irrelevant because it's not even about being like a popular star it's like about some sort of like super micro niche idea of like music making or of pop music making or something like that. Yeah, no, I, I, Louis, I totally agree with you. And, and it really is a revolutionary change because it changes everything about genre. Yeah. Genre is really followed from monoculture and all changes the way music is created and the length of the songs, what mm. songs are about. I mean, the whole rise of functional music, which is a subject I'm maybe going to write a story about, you know, which is like music for sleep, music for calm, music for focus. Right. That's kind of become like 
in a way what the album was it's like a, a way of organizing content and also a way of marketing it so you know you instead of having genres like r&b and rock you have genres like you know sleep or, or work and mm. you have people making music for those genres that no one knows really their names and right. yet they're doing very well like the the number of streams that those sleep I mean, some of them are scams but some of them are legit and and the labels are pushing back on this too so like this is what i don't know lucian grange had this year-end letter in which he talked about the need for streaming reform and really what he's talking about is you've almost got two different kinds of music now that are emerging on streaming platforms you've got the kind made by artists stars promoted by labels that we're used to but then you've got all this other stuff that's uh, diy stuff that the labels have no control over but it's sort of shrinking their share of the pie, you know, mm. because the way the streaming platforms work, you get paid in this pro rata system. And the labels are saying, well, a Harry Styles stream is worth more than like a white noise stream that helps you sleep because the Harry Styles stream is not only real music created by an artist, but you might be subscribing to Spotify because you want to hear Harry Styles. But what the labels are saying is like, once Spotify has your subscription, right? It's not really in their interest to promote Harry Styles because the licensing costs of Harry Styles music right. is going to be higher than the licensing right. costs of like a white noise track or right. something. And so I feel like we're, we're approaching a kind of a Napster level reset mm. of how music is going to work on streaming platforms because the labels are losing control, right? Right. They lost right. control with Napster and it was like a deeply frightening moment. And then they figured out how to use the rights and copyrights and, and created the streaming world that worked for them for a while. But now it's not working as well for them because of this whole rise of like new forms of music making, music promoting, music distribution. And so I see something coming down the pike that's gonna have to change. I'm not sure what it is. And then you got AI music kind of put into that too. Oh God. Yeah. With AI music, you're sort of saying like, okay, well, there is no artist. I right. mean, <laughs> that's the big difference. Like, how do you right. care about music that's not created by a human? Well, mm. if it's music that helps you sleep or right. helps you work. Right. Yeah, maybe you do actually listen to that, but you wouldn't listen to like a pop song created by a robot because you want a relationship with the artist. So anyway, I just sort of feel like we're heading into like two worlds almost. Right, of, of right. What music is, who creates it, and what people use it for. Are you enjoying this episode? Do you like what you're hearing? Well, you might need to subscribe to our Patreon channel, Pop Pantheon All Access. If you join for just five bucks a month at the Icon tier, you'll get access to all of our bonus content. This includes deep dives into classic albums like Janet's The Velvet Rope with Rich Doswiak, Taylor Swift's Reputation with Britney Spanos, and Britney's Blackout with Troy McKitty, as well as reviews of new records like SZA's SOS with Owen Myers and Miley's Endless Summer Vacation with Shad D'Souza. With new episodes being published all the time, we also touch on all your favorite new songs, fluctuating pop star Pantheon, on positions and so much more. Plus, you get access to our Discord channel, the guest list at my party, Gorgeous Gorgeous, and a ton of other great perks. So sign up today at patreon.com slash poppantheon or by clicking the link in the show notes of this episode.
these like stars that have are these like not stars these like micro stars are these right, micro you know, tiktok stars. whatever they find a, a small following that's interested in their music like you wouldn't think that they would need to sign with a record label like because you were talking about in your piece how like there can be these feeding frenzies like when someone gets a viral hit and then like it can go on for like two weeks and then like the song loses streams and then the labels lose interest like are artists like young artists or young pop stars or micro pop stars whatever coming up on tiktok less and less interested in getting a record deal for instance or is that still like a goal for them ultimately in their minds it's still a goal but i think the deal itself is different which can be good or bad like the the classic record deal was like basically signed your life away you know right. from the kesha dr right. luke lawsuit right. that like to get out of that she had like six albums guaranteed to him and i still is signed to him and couldn't get yeah. out of it but now what you're seeing is contract that the labels are offering like deals which were like for songs no one's offering deals right. for albums and because of the whole embrace of data you know data goes up but data goes down it's made i think labels nervous about like long-term commitments mm. to artists that are sort of new and and basically data driven so yeah i think there's still a lot of desire for major label support because if you really are like interested in a huge international pop star right. career particularly on an right. international level you really kind of do need a major label's support for that touring radio you know the whole bit but i don't know i don't think uh, that many people go into it with that in mind i think a lot more people are now thinking i can make this work for me without having to completely change my life and and spend right, right, you know right the rest of my life touring or or, or whatever like the main subject of your piece you were talking about the, the i forget where her name is the main subject of that you spent time Catherine lee yes she doesn't even like want to go on tour. like she like touring right. is such like a secondary concern to her like it's the tiktok is where her music career exists like almost exclusively yeah it's like an incubator and it's also it feels sort of safe you know yeah. like nurturing and her fans are very nurturing yeah. And she has a narrow niche, but, you know, she exploits it well. And out in the world, it'll be a different story. Do you feel we lose anything? Maybe this is just a separate ecosystem and we still have the other world going on. But, like, in terms of artists not having to go through the ringer, A, of, like, trying to reach some sort of, like, mass consumption status and also, like, of record labels investing in sort of developing and nurturing artists or whatever in the old-fashioned way. Like, do we lose something artistically in that shift, do you think? Yes, I think we do. I, I mean, because the algorithms are so involved in data and then the data becomes the main indicator of an artist's desirability, algorithms don't go out of their way to discover some artist that no one has ever cared about who breaks the mold on, you know, every level, but who actually has got incredible charisma and is electrifying it. And as soon right. as they step on right. stage, or it's going to be like right. Elvis. That's not what algorithms do, really. Algorithms tend to sort of group like with like and promote like the lowest, well, not the lowest common denominator, but the, the thing that's the most popular. So I don't think that really groundbreaking new and truly original artists are are more likely to emerge from an algorithmic system. Right, right. Right. 
I mean, that's where the gatekeepers still can make a difference, but there are not that many of them left. And you think about someone like Little Nas X, who I think is fascinating because I think Little Nas X, who launches into fame based on both this TikTok trend that he has no control over and also like his own sort of nativism to social media and his ability to sort of turn himself into a superstar, kind right. of like only tangentially related to his like musical acumen, right? And then it's like this thing of like, if you do aspire towards like kind of more classic monocultural or monocultural gesturing pop stardom, you have to like retrofit a musical acumen onto these stars. Like Little Nas X has had to like sort of figure out the musical aspect of his career, like post becoming a pop superstar, which is like a kind of strange reversal of like the idea of a label like a Motown or whatever like nurturing an artist or whatever you're thinking about like back in the day it's like you right. do I think sometimes like have these situations with certain of these pop stars that emerge on these platforms where they have to fact their way into like a musical sort of identity or like a musical idea and that can be hard to do like luckily Little Nas X has been someone that's been able to like figure out how to stay famous like both through his music and outside of it like he's more famous yeah. Because he's like an entertaining social media star in some ways than because right. of any of his music. I mean, Cardi B, I think, is another interesting example of this as right. well. Both of them have figured the music part of it out at some point. But like, I find that to be really interesting. And I wonder what that means in terms of like the future of like innovative pop stars who like actually like come into the game, like knowing who they are as artists, ready to take on these big ideas, ready to like push the genre forward, like ready to make interesting contributions to the space. The diminishment of that, I think, obviously. Obviously, there's some amazing aspects of like what TikTok has provided for individuals and like creating these niche sort of ways for musicians to exist right. without having to get record deals and having their songs played on the radio. But there's something also kind of like troubling about like, right. you know, in terms of the greater state of sort of pop music in general, sometimes I think. Right. Yeah. There's a person in my piece who says there's this sort of a generational divide between artists that feel comfortable being like a talk show host as well as being a musician and those that don't those that feel like what their job is is making music and being a talk show host or like a you know social media personality is really not what they signed up for right, <laughs> right exactly you know? right and and yeah. and they've already got to do twitter facebook and instagram and that wasn't necessarily what they signed up for either but at least with those you could have like a, a media manager a social media manager if you were a big artist, basically would do that for you, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, make your own, would tweet for you and, and would design your Instagram page. But with TikTok, you know, with this whole sort of DIY aesthetic, you kind of got to do it more yourself. Well, you don't do it yourself, but you have to take part in it. Right. You can't just leave it off to your social media manager to pretend to be you. So for a lot of artists, that is either can make music or you can like go on social media and yeah. try to be a personality. Right. But if you if you don't have that personality, what do you do? And I don't know. I mean, you know, I think it's you definitely see the people like Lil Nas X who are breaking out are the ones that do have the personality, right? Yeah. And have a native sense of how to like do the memes and stuff like that, you know, like have yeah, a sense yeah. of how how this all works right and it, like charlie pooth is a good example of a guy that and again the pandemic was he sort of was a youtube guy but right. he didn't he wasn't really that comfortable on youtube and it didn't really work that well for him but on tiktok it just worked really well for him mm -hmm. he, he his whole kind of nice guy thing <laughs> uh, kind of came through you know and he sang in perfect pitch and 
He shows his talents. What if there was a song that started off like boop, 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 and the bass went like boom, 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 and the drums would go like there's something missing. There should be like a weird sound effect. Just a random noise or something like that. Here, let me turn this light on. Oh my God. Okay, I know this is really, really weird, but I just wanna, there. Here's the light switch sound. This is actually kind of dope. I'm freaking out right now. It works for him, but then again, it would not work for another artist. So, and, yeah. even, and then the older artists you see, they're sort of, sort of trying to stay relevant by being on right. TikTok is, is a little pathetic. What I wanted to ask you about next is there's been so much hay made lately by artists like Florence Welch and by Halsey and all of these sort of pre- right. TikTok stars who are being asked to kind of like, or kind of demanded by their record labels and powers right. that be that they utilize these platforms because of this is how songs break these days. I mean, this yes. is the way that hit songs, even by established artists, largely are breaking in this moment. Yes. So have there been examples? I mean, I guess Charlie is one that you're bringing up here that has figured this out, but are there other examples of pre-TikTok artists that have been able to like retrofit themselves effectively like into this system well florence welsh actually has and it's actually not surprising because florence if you go to one of her shows she is a very exuberant particularly dancer like she runs around the audience in madison square garden like the whole floor and so she just kind of extended some of that exuberance to tiktok and even though she was reluctant to do it at first because she felt like her fans wouldn't get it yeah. they did get it and then she did get a bunch of new fans from it so tell me where to put my love do i wait for a time to do what it does it really is like a case-by-case -case basis but yeah and even with halsey yeah halsey she made a big deal about how the label wouldn't release her song unless she made a tiktok video but she got a lot of publicity out of, out of that and that song yeah. did get released <laughs> and that was like as big a marketing right. bonus as Halsey had all year. So Produced by our boy Max, actually, that song. Oh, yeah, is that right? that's right. No, it can go both ways. You can maybe make a little hay by being like TikTok averse and saying, you know, I'm not going to be right. on <laughs> There's all kinds of different ways, although it's not something that you can just ignore. And if you do TikTok stuff and it works, it's definitely to your advantage you know if you can do that is there a sense at this point amongst sort of the established pop a-list b-list tier of pop stars that like this is basically like a requirement like is every major pop star at this point like is the marketing strategy like inherently tied to trying to artificially manufacture a tiktok meme like is that the vibe that you're getting more or less it's definitely part of the budget so you've got a budget yeah. okay so like if you're an artist you're releasing a song there's going to be a budget and that right. part of it is to radio part of it is to youtube and then part of it is to tiktok and if you look yeah. at budgets now you'll see that yeah. a lot of the money that used to go to making a youtube video now goes to TikTok. And so what does that mean? Where's the money being spent? Well, it's not really right. being spent on the video because right. the video is a lo-fi product. Where it's being spent is on influencers. So the whole way it works, you know, nobody can really truly create a viral video from scratch, it seems, or maybe they can do it once, but they can't do it again. So 
that aspect of it is always something of a crapshoot. But if you kind of watch the data and see that, you know, your song is actually beginning to develop a little bit of some traction, it might be in Indonesia or Philippines. You then direct your TikTok budget. You find out who are the influencers in this region who, you know, can promote my song. And then you spend money on them. You pay them. And they then make videos using your song. And then you try to grow the buzz. And then the algorithm eventually wakes up and says, this is happening. And then it starts putting uh, Mm -hmm. you into other people's feeds. And then away you go. That's where the budgets are now being directed. Okay, so you mentioned earlier that there's like a sense amongst the TikTok consuming public about authenticity, right? Like they know, like you were saying, you can't, these major pop stars can't just like hand this off to a social media manager to like make some sort of prefab bullshit. Like it's not going to work. But yet like they feel like even these pop stars that aren't native to the ideas of TikTok are still needing to use it. So like you were sort of touching on this in your piece, but like, are there levers that can get pulled behind the scenes? Like, is is there, is there chicanery going on here? Like payola? Yeah. Like, is there like, because obviously the idea of a TikTok song blowing up began as like something that authentically happened in the most random ways. Like thinking about that little Nas X thing, it's like, that is the most random thing ever that that song blew up because of the guy doing the most like thing you would like it's just something no boardroom could ever think of almost right, in a way right totally, so like totally authentic yeah so when i think about lizzo right like so lizzo in her, in her most recent record was kind of like stumbling around for a hit like her song with cardi b that came out like didn't do particularly uh, well right. then they they released this about damn time song and like lizzo makes this dance for it or somebody makes the dance for it on tiktok i don't know if it was lizzo or somebody else but i think it was actually lizzo herself is that just a totally organic thing where like Lizzo made this dance up and everybody liked the dance and started doing it? Or like, is there chicanery going on here? I like your word chicanery. I think <laughs> uh, Louie how I say is like what we think of as chicanery has changed. So in a sense, what's happening on TikTok is payola. Payola, right. for your listeners that don't remember, was when record labels went to radio stations and paid the DJs to play their records. Maybe they gave yeah. them cash, maybe they gave them cocaine, maybe they gave them right. hookers. Maybe they gave them tickets to the show or all of the above. And then they got their song on the radio and it was a beautiful system until Bobby Kennedy (laughs) broke it all up. And then (laughs) Elliot Spencer did it again and and later on. It's always looks good for politicians to break up payola because it's like they're on the side of the people that way. Anyway, so TikTok, when you're paying influencers on TikTok and you're not telling people because they're not hashtagged as ads or you know, see, see, brands right. who, who do have to hashtag influencers as an ad. And the FTC enforces that, the Federal Trade Commission. But the, the, the Federal Trade Commission doesn't enforce the music part of that. So mm. you rarely know if someone is authentically promoting a song because they love it or they're actually getting paid to mm. promote that song. So, yeah. And, and when you think about the sort of authenticity and the value that authenticity plays on TikTok, this is sort of ironic and contradictory because in a way, a lot of the fan economy is not truly authentic. It's based on 
I don't know what you want to call it, but those are payments for what seems to be authentic enthusiasm. So there's definitely chicanery. It's more like the, the definition of what is chicanery has kind of evolved on TikTok right. and it's no longer considered chicanery, but it's not entirely authentic either. But it's not as if Columbia can just like call up TikTok and be like, hey, pull the algorithm levers for this song. Essentially. No, I don't think that can happen. And there's a whole other layer to this, which we haven't talked about, which is the fact that there's an ongoing desire by many in the U.S. government to actually ban TikTok, either temporarily or permanently. I don't know how that would actually work, but every week brings, you know, more saber rattling about how we're going to mm. sort of deal with TikTok. One of the big issues is, you know, the algorithm is sort of a trade secret of ByteDance, right. which is the company that owns TikTok. And so we don't really know who, if anyone, is controlling the algorithm. But certainly the major labels do not have any input into that. But they can spend a bunch of money on right. like, okay, on influencers. So right. One thing that I wanted to ask you about is there's been a lot of hay made lately about a, something we've kind of already touched on, which is like the dearth of new pop superstars, right? Like there's been like a lot of ink spilled right. lately about how like there's not a ton of like new pop stars like coming down the pike in the old sense of the word. I think we did a decent job of kind of laying out some reasons why that might be. But there's yeah. also been a dearth of new hits in terms of traditional hits. I think there was some statistic like the percentage of catalog streams on Spotify has right. like expanded to some astronomical proportion of Spotify streams based on like pre-pandemic numbers. Like people yeah. are much more engaged in listening to like older music. I wonder how that also relates to TikTok because that's another thing that seems to be happening a lot on TikTok in terms of how it pertains to pop is that randomly old hits can all of a sudden become new yeah. hits. Obviously this isn't the perfect example because Kate Bush's song blew up from the Netflix placement right. on the Stranger Things show. But like for instance, you talk about this in your in your piece about how Fleetwood Mac's dreams right. had this right. huge resurgence because some guy like filmed himself skateboarding down right. at Venice Boardwalk or whatever. Like, so right. why is TikTok or how is TikTok playing into sort of like the elevation of catalog music versus new hits in certain instances? Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right that, you know, I think it was last year or at some point during the pandemic, Catalog streams on Spotify pass new music streams. So more money coming from catalog than new music, which is, I mean, if you really think back 20 years, if you remember record stores, record stores stocked 80% of what records stocked was new music. Like maybe you could find, you know, Rubber Soul in the background, but most of, of catalog music just wasn't available anywhere. So as an audience and as a generation, whatever the new music was, was sort of like your music. But now you've got a situation where my children can come home listening to a song from the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. And it doesn't really matter to them because it's new to them. Right. right. It's new to them. Right. It, right. uh, it's not new to me, mm. but it's new to them. <laughs> and so yeah. when like they hear like Smash Mouth, you know, hey, now you're a rock yeah. star and they're singing. Yeah. And I'm like, man, that's an old song. And they're like, really? I thought that was a new song. So you do have to remember that the new you know, listeners coming along and they do have the opportunity to listen to anything they want. Why should they listen to new music just because it's new? You know, yeah. and that's that's a question that I guess a lot of people are sort of struggling to answer. And there's a lot of reasons, like from point of view of marketing, for you to say, well, like let's not listen to new music because there's a lot of risk, you know, involved. Like we we know that the catalog hits are popular because 
they've been hits before and some of them still have some appeal but like new music we don't know like no one can predict a hit even max martin strikes out more often than he hits and that's always been just part of the business of music but it's no longer the main part of the business of music so yeah there's a lot of reasons i think from the stakeholders to say well let's go with catalog or let's repackage these songs with ai you can take a song like you know miles davis song and turn it into like a workout song like you can remix it with an ai so i think what we're going to see is is like catalog hits that are going to start getting kind of remixed Mm-hmm. with AI, especially the new Muzak. I heard like Gangster's Paradise, for example, <laughs> uh, on in an elevator not that long ago. And it was like, damn, they're actually making Muzak out of rap now. I, I kind of feel like that's a little bit where we're heading with a lot. Also like with like personalized songs. So like you have like your playlist, but what about like a song that could actually be personalized, changed, like according to what you want that song to be. So I could have like the workout version of a song and you could have like the calm version of the song. Mm. Multiple versions of songs, I think, is another thing that's basically just coming like more and more remixes, like yeah. audience remixing, the fans are remixing. The idea that an artist is going to put out one version of a song and that's the only version of the song that's ever going to exist right is right. completely gone and if you want your song to blow up you basically have to accept that there may be a version of your song that's going to be the hit that you right. haven't even written yet right right <laughs> that's, that's like the bar- that's the bargain of having this fan engagement on an app like tiktok help you break through is that you also then kind of like give up ownership and control over like the sort of vibe feel look you know sound right. of the song you're yeah. in business with these people now and you're in creative yeah. partnership you're in with creative them. partnership with them that's so interesting you know i have to say i think i guess maybe this is what every generation says about like new innovations and in technology and consumption but like there's something troubling to me on a grander scale in terms of just like as somebody who cares about pop music about the sort of nostalgia tripping that I think some of this all sort of like plays into. Like if you think about like, as you were mentioning, like the market share of these catalog hits versus new songs being one thing. And then you also think about the fact that like the songs that do even blow up, I was thinking about this, like in terms of like about damn time in terms of like Harry Styles as it was. And I also think about it in terms of like Taylor Swift being out here, like re-recording all of her old albums. Like there's a lot of focus on like familiarity and like about damn time. I bring up because it sounds like a disco song as mm-hmm. it was like all of it gestures at this past music in this very specific yeah. way there's something slightly unnerving to me about the fact that we're like not fostering an environment that's like pushing the sound of music forward yeah. and instead is like busy kind of being lateral and backward looking I like what you're saying about sort of the way that it's like democratizing the act of pop stardom and the act of yeah. pop stardom is becoming like an interplay between star and audience is like a absolutely fascinating concept and I enjoy things that break down the us and them of celebrity and of stardom like that's in that's yeah. good I think for culture in some ways but like I do find it slightly troubling the way that apps like TikTok and the way that just the general ecosystem that it's a part of a pop music now seems to put a premium on familiarity and backwardness 
as opposed to like innovation in terms of music, you know, as somebody who just cares about music. I hope we don't lose that in the mix here a little bit. And like, that is something troubling that I do think TikTok is playing some role in, which is interesting because it's one of the most innovative things that has come around, as you said, since Napster in terms of music consumption. And yet somehow it feels like it's prioritizing a lack of innovation musically, I guess. It sort of goes to partly people's intention in making Mm. the music. Maybe they just have different intentions. You're trying to catch someone's attention with 20 seconds of a song. Like how, what are you supposed to do with that? Like that does in and of itself foster a sort of like, you need to immediately have, that has to be immediately accessible. It has to be immediately familiar in this sense. It has to catch the listener's attention in this incredibly broad way right from the beginning. And so if that's what you're prioritizing, like it doesn't leave a ton of room for someone's mind to open or mind to stretch, I don't think necessarily, or could be, I don't know, maybe. I'm writing a story now about a copyright infringement case, and it really comes down to what's owned, what's original, it's it's Ed Sheeran versus a a Marvin Gaye song, let's get it on, thinking out loud and let's get it on. The co-writer of Let's Get It On is suing Ed Sheeran. And what they're suing over is something that's basically so basic to music, which is like a chord progression or a one, three, four, five chord progression. Right. Right. I mean, it's impossible to believe they should be able to own this stuff. And yet it's coming to a courtroom. And, and once you open it up, like in the Blurred Lines decision involving yeah. Blurred Lines and another Marvin right. Gaye song, you're getting into an area where things that didn't used to be ownable are now being claimed to be as ownership, which is like, beats and grooves and vibes so we're getting into this whole area where on the one hand music is sounding more and more alike and there isn't anything really new but on the other hand there's all these lawsuits that are emerging over people saying well your song sounds too much like my song there are almost Mm. two different ways of thinking about interesting that's interesting two different paths that are almost on a collision course with each other because we do believe in like the artist and the right of the artist to own their original works but when you think about like what's really original in music today Mm. you know like even harry Styles, as it was would not the song to sound like take on me and maybe not not it's not so much that i think like there should be like an infringement case but there's a lot of that a lot of songs sounding like other songs So maybe my last question for you is in your journey in developing and writing this piece, was there a song that you came across that was a TikTok hit, something that was native to TikTok, something that sort of speaks to whatever we've been talking about today that just struck you that you really liked that just felt either you just liked it or it felt like it was innovative in some way, or maybe it was just something that you gravitated towards that we could send the show out on something that just sort of stuck with you from your research. Victoria's Secret, I thought it was more the lyric than the tune, but I do think that the way it so beautifully kind of like captured a a young woman's thoughts about having to look like (laughs) one of these underwear models. I hadn't heard a song that spoke to me that way. And I have a young daughter, so this is her music. So I appreciate that there is a, young woman out there who's a pop star who's not promoting big boobs and and (laughs) tiny waist and you know a victoria's secret look so yeah i give it up to Jax. i think Jax is actually a talent that's going to be around for a while so if you haven't heard it it's a fun listen check it out all right so we'll go out on victoria's secret john seabrook thank you so much for being on the show yeah thanks this is a lot of fun talking to you as always (laughs) 